to the Designated Drinker Show. We are the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. Me, I'm Louise Salas, your host on a journey into the great unknown. We may not know where we are going, but we know who will get us there. <laughs> and that's none other than my very talented mixtress, DC Gina. Hi, Louise. Hey. <clears throat> Kept it a little straight this time. I know. I was there. I was no gidget. I love Yes, she is. I was ready for it. So um, speaking of setting out on a journey and uh, being brave enough, savvy enough, and maybe just a little bit crazy, um, you know, to think that you just carve out a path that's uniquely yours and just, you know, go by a whim um, kind of explains today's guest, kind of sets up who today's guest is. Um, But uh, no matter what, he just keeps succeeding and rising to the top. So we definitely want to hear this story. So uh, why don't we just jump down this rabbit hole and find out a little bit more about today's guest, our next designated drinker, the director of culinary strategy of Eden's, Richie Brandenburg. Hi, Louise. Hi, Gina. How you doing? Hi. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Union Market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so everyone knows, we're hanging out in Union Market again this time, so thanks for having us. Um, So, uh, Richie, your story is inspiring. It's a story of passion, of grit, and determination. So uh, why don't you just tell us how uh, this this journey that is solely Richie Brandenburg's, what the hell is it, and how the hell did you make it happen? Well, I get start from the beginning? Yes. When, well, once I, you were born, maybe we <laughs> maybe you jump ahead past you know the birthing part. Right, right. <laughs> I'll give you my favorite part. Richie's the local, and I, then what happened? I am a local. Uh, graduated high school South Lakes in Reston, Virginia. Um, so grew up in this area. Used to skip school, come down to DC, hang out in uh, Freedom Plaza, ride my skateboard. Um, loved loved DC. Moved around a, quite a bit. Um, when I first left DC, I, I graduated college a little early. A bunch of my friends went to college in Richmond, and I went down there. And I got a I had to get a job if I wanted to eat or go out or do anything. <laughs> so I started. Actually, I started washing dishes. And sorry, you don't have the, the millennial bank account where you don't have to worry no, about school. No, no. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, so I was <laughs> watching. Me neither. I just wanted to make sure that yeah. I. Like, that's nice to hear another person actually had to work through college. It's all three of us yeah. sitting here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yes. That's the thing. So, oh, I, uh, about that. so I was washing dishes and what the what the cooks were doing looked so much more fun than what I was doing. So I continuously wanted to be a cook and I was always over there. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And finally got a they start, They finally got me another dishwasher and let me do what they were doing. And cool. I got to, got to start working. Um, first year of college, I became the sous chef of the restaurant I was I was working <laughs> at. It was a small restaurant. I mean, there was like five people in the kitchen, but still, That's not small. it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of fun down in Chocolate Slip in Richmond, um, Harry's Twelfth Street Grill and Fine Dining. Um, Is it still there? It's not still there. Aww. It's not. I love um, legacy restaurants. I'm yeah, that would have been really yeah, cool. Yeah, it was kind of a Cheers type place with a bar downstairs and then the upstairs, like the quote unquote fine dining restaurant. I, I love that. <laughs> I, I, that kind of old school dining is pretty cool. I love that right. stuff. Still exists in, in Boston quite a bit. But. Some places, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I finally figured out that I didn't want to go to school anymore. I mean, I was going to school for economics, and it really was boring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really liked going to work. Frankly and stated. Started working doubles and, like, just blowing off class and finally just dropped out and continued cooking. Moved down to New Orleans with one of my roommates from cool. that also dropped out of uh, <laughs> school. and. I just started my cooking career and awesome. bounced around from restaurant to restaurant. And I worked for a guy in New Orleans that was, uh, his name was Carlos Gia. He's now at um, Aria. He was one of the head chefs at Aria in Vegas. 
but if you ever been to Vegas, people, it's a very large place. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me this book. Um, I remember White Heat, and he also gave me Raymond Blanc's uh, cookbook, the cool. white one. I yeah. Which one is just the Manuel Quinceanera? And I, I went home and I, I read that book a thousand times, and I was like, I want to do this. It's awesome. Um, and Carlos has been an advocate for me since then. I was, I mean, we were at Palace Cafe in New Orleans when I worked for him, and. Every almost every restaurant I've gotten into is because of him. He gave me references. Like I was, I was in England and didn't have a job. I was knocking on doors looking for a place, and I called him collect. Wow! <laughs> from London, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I can't get a job, man." He's like, "Well, go see this guy, and if that doesn't work, go over to Belgium, and for sure that guy will take you." And so he's like, "He's going to ask you to do a cooking, uh, like a comprehension test, I guess, if you will." And I was like, all right, no problem. He's like, do it perfect. He's like, do it perfect and do it as fast as you can. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, he's like, don't fuck anything up because you won't get a job with it. Yeah. I was the like, real all right. top shot. The yeah. real, real challenges. And so I yeah. was like, all right. So I, sh- I showed up in a, at the restaurant and said I was friends with Carlos. And he uh, he's like, all right. And he threw a, a black bass on the on the cutting board. He's like, fillet that cookie crispy skin for me. And I was like, okay. So scaled it, cleaned it, filleted it cooked a crispy skin. He ran his finger down it. He punched it a bunch of times to check if there was any bones left in it. And he took one bite of it. He's like, okay, we'll start tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, all right, great. And he uh, he was like, so where are you staying? And I was, I was actually didn't have a home at that time. So I was staying in the park down the street. Oh my God. Really? I was like, I'm staying down there in the park. I I had my backpack shoved under a bench over a, it was a, I jumped over a fence and like hit it under a, like a bush That's in a fence area. And I was like, well, my stuff's down in the park over there, <laughs> over the fence. And I was going to go back. I was just going to go do that. I cleaned up in a Dunkin' Donuts before I went for the interview. Oh I did the, did the bath in the sink. <laughs> yes. And, um, yes. The Venetian hooker bath. I like it. <laughs> and then um, he's like, nah, nah. He's like, go get your stuff. He's like, stay with me. So I lived with on his couch for a year. Wow. And like every day I got up and, I put all my stuff in my backpack. I put it in the corner, put my sleeping bag back in my duffel. And then I went to work and six days a week, 6 a.m. until 11 o'clock at night. I worked. I did everything for this guy. I wow. Did. He would come in at 10, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sometimes he'd wake me up at four and say the baker wasn't coming in. And I had to go make the bread. And then it was just longer. What restaurant days. was this, Richie? It's called Atelier. He was one of the sous chefs from uh, Raymond Blanc's uh, Manuel Quant Saison. Wow. So wow. he came up. He was a line cook next to Gordon Ramsay and wow, uh, like coming up. Yeah. So he like knew. He sent me to Criterion for to Margot Pierre White's restaurant to do a pastry for a month while I was there, and just he 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 sculpted me to make me util- you'd be able to utilize for him. That's like total and, tough love mentoring. Oh, he was, it was, it, the things that went on there would not be allowed here. Like, there'd be like <laughs> definite court cases. I mean, it was yeah. back in the days of yelling and screaming and throwing and burning you and like oh all that kind of stuff. That's a craziness. It was, and it, I mean, it was just brutal. Yeah. But, but it was, uh, honestly, I would, would do it again. It, wow. it was, it brought me to the level when I came back here and I went and I started working in restaurants here that I was, I wasn't as challenged as you saw a lot of people were be. Yeah. Were after. I mean, I went to Le Bernardin and I was like, this is, yeah, it's easy. I got that. No problem. Yeah. You no learned problem. the hard way. This How is long like, are you at yeah. Le Bernardin again? Three years. Three years. I was the sous chef there. 
<sighs> it's amazing. Your culinary journey is just like epic. Like I, you know, people. I think some of the new generation that you know, people listen to the show might not know who uh, you know Marco or these people were, but these are the these are the backbones of what made everybody who they are. These are the backbones of the TV shows you watch. That yeah, this was before celebrity shows. Yeah, but way like, there was no yeah. like Marco was was famous because he kicked kicked reporters out of his restaurant. Yeah. Like the there's I, I think the first time I ever heard about Marco Pierway is this crazy chef. He besides the book that my friend had given me, yeah. but I heard the the most famous story I'd heard of him. There was a he had a caviar crusted halibut as one of his dishes, and he the report the new the reviewer came in scraped the caviar crust off said I don't like caviar and started to eat the dish. He walked out. He picked up the dish out of off the table and said, "Please leave my restaurant." Wow. He's like, you will not be writing anything about me without eating the dish the way I, I put it on the table. Well, I mean. And like yeah. that, that was like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, it takes balls to do that, but you, you get it. I mean, it's. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. I yeah. mean, you can't review something if you're not going to eat it the way it's meant to be. Yeah. It's like going to a museum and being like, oh, I just really hate the pink in this painting. And, you know, right. it's, a, it's a Monet. Let me just scrape it all off. Right. Perfect. It looks better for me now. Yeah. Right. Now, you have to appreciate the beauty of what you guys do. But wait, go, but, keep going. So you're a little down in New York. <laughs> then I went, to, I went out to San Francisco. I worked for Michael Mina Corporate for a little while. Uh, Chris Constantino and I both got hired to be co-chefs of uh, Redwood Park, which I don't think anyone remembers. It's probably like one of the only restaurants that Michael Mina opened and then closed. Yeah. Um, it was yes. in the Transamerica building. And he hired me to do the fine dining side and Chris to do the grill side, which was going to have like a huge charcuterie program and all that kind of stuff. And Chris and I actually didn't know this at the time that we got hired together to be co-chefs. We both thought we were the chef. Oh. <laughs> and we found this out on the line, standing next to each other, working, like, oh. hey, uh, I'm, like, I'm hired for Redwood Park. It's so am I. <laughs> like, and it was one of those. And then Hi, Mia, I'm the chef. Hi, I'm Michael the chef. was on the other, other side of the line. He's like, Chris, Richie, Richie, Chris. <laughs> like, you guys are going to run Red, Redwood Park. And then 9-11 happened uh, like a week later. Wow. Um, that was right when we moved out there. Um, it just moved from New York to there. Mm-hmm. And Michael sat us both down. He's like, look, this is scary. 9-11 is like changing people's outlooks on things. Everyone feels like the Transamerica building is the building here and that's going to get targeted. And it was, it was a scary time. I think yeah. we all remember. Yes, absolutely. Um, was. He was like, I need to go with a name, a name that's known already. So he went with George Marone instead of, and was going to make us both be his sous chef. And... I didn't really want to. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't like what George did as f- for food. I, just, I mean, I, I respect him, but it, yep. it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, so I called Eric in New York at Le Bernardin, and I was like, "What do I do, chef?" And he's like, "Laurent's opening the fifth floor." He's like, "Go, go see Laurent." And so I was his chef de cuisine for for about a year, kind of figuring things out. Um, and there I met my at the time wife. Yeah. Um, Started to have a baby, and for Laurent, I, I worked. I was there every day, six until eleven. That's it's just such what you did. Hard life. I, mean, I know it's rewarding, but man, Laurent, Laurent was like, "We need to be there to bang the pans. Like, yeah, we need to be first ones in, last ones out." And that's that was his philosophy on it, and so that's what I did. Yeah. Um, until I started to find out I was going to have a baby, and that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I quit my job and 
A friend of mine quit his job at the same time at Jardinera. His name's Doug Keen. He opened Cyrus out in uh, Healdsburg later, and he had a couple other restaurants. Amazing restaurant, by the yeah. way. If you ever and, uh, get a chance to be out there, it's still open. He's got a different restaurant Cyrus in Napa. Open? No, they, they closed it? Cyrus, and then oh, they, they so opened good. something else in Napa, which I ate at recently when I was out at World of Flavor for at CIA recently. It was phenomenal. That restaurant was epic. The dining but, seats in that restaurant right. were beautiful. They were like these half-moon tables. They were going to right. the baguettes. It was. It, they brought old school dining with the classic like California cuisine. It was beautiful in the French twist. It was, it was beautiful. It was restaurant. a beautiful restaurant. They Gorgeous. had an amazing cocktail program where no one had a cocktail program. Yeah, Nick Payton. He was the man. Yeah, that's. He was the old school of. He was the old school of when the GMs were the celebrities. Oh. Because before the chefs, the GMs were the celebrities. Like that's who all the rich people knew. They it's knew who, it's who, who you GMs. wanted to know. Yeah. Right. They're the ones that like, you know, got tipped the la- la- Range Rover and you know, <laughs> the like, Range Rover. I, I mean, every that's story, real. that's Holy real. Shit. Napa, real. 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 That's totally real. They were gonna get rid of their car they drove for a year, they gave it to the GM. Yeah. Wow. Because and then they always, always had, had a table. table. Always. Yeah, yeah, always. Oh yeah. <laughs> I drive their car. <laughs> Front and center right there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> drive into the dining right. room. <laughs> so it was uh that was that was I actually worked with uh, Nick Payton at uh, at the fifth floor with Laurent, and he kind of said, "Hey, you guys would." And he was friends with Doug, and he said, "You guys would, would be good friends." So he kind of set us up on a play date. And we we had a lot of fun, and then we, we since we both quit at the same time, that's why he had like kind of set us up. And yeah. So we ended up catering and doing things. We'd end up in the vineyard at uh, J Shram and like, like Shramsburg, like. Bubbly vineyard, like wow. cooking cooking quails and chucking oysters. And oh, cool. like we do that stuff. We did so we did that stuff for about eight months, and we bounced around. and did a like a stand as guest chef at like Ernest Elderberry House in Yosemite, and wow. like bounced around and did lots of fun stuff. We 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 did yachts. We did like anything to make make money. Yeah. Um, and then finally, someone asked me at one market to take over for a chef for his vacation because he didn't have a sous chef in place that he felt comfortable leaving it with. And then he, he was gone for a month and then came back and they were like, look, you're doing a great job. We want to promote Adrian to corporate chef of the company. Please stay. And so I stayed at one market and that wow. was my home for about three and a half years, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, and then I found out I'm having a second baby and uh, I just kind of, I think we all go through these freak out moments when we're having babies in life and like, I want to work less. I want to be, I want to like see the kids grow up yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So I, I tried a club job. So I was the chef of the Bohemian Club, which is a kind of interesting you know, place if you haven't heard of it. You, you were you were sharing a little bit with me earlier. Well, it's a, it was kind of founded by like Samuel Clemens, Mark yeah. Twain, um, and, a, and a bunch of other group of men in San Francisco. And it's a men's club, all men's club. Um, they have a city club, right, a couple blocks from Union Square. And then they have the Grove, which they call it, which is like 70 acres out in the, out in the, Redwood Forest in oh. Sonoma. Yeah. It's gorgeous. I'm sure. And the only way to describe this place, so it's it's like a university with 125 different fraternities. And then mix that in with like a Boy Scout camp. <laughs> and then like kind of twist in an Ewok village. And, and that's that's what the Bohemian Club is. Because, I mean, it's unreal. It's like all famous people. It's like ex-presidents and like that's, judges. Yeah. And, Hewlett and Packard, Mr. Flowers, <laughs> you know, Mr. Gigridge, yeah. Mr. like wow. all the vineyards. I mean, I was in the infirmary next but to was Robert Madonna. Mr. Mandel. Peanut there. Mr. Peanut. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I did change the menu once for Bush Senior. I changed oh. the whole menu. I found out he was coming in. There was 
this was a place where it was like 2,600 people breakfast, lunch, dinner. Wow. And I found out that Bush Sr. was coming in for dinner, and I turned to my sous chef, CT. I was like, CT, I want you to go get 50 cases of broccoli right now. Because <laughs> he had that whole campaign of, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't like broccoli. Yeah. I was like, we're going to do the giant heads of broccoli. We're going to shave it down. We're going to toss it in that anchovy caper paste, and we're going to roast them in the wood oven. And, like, let's go. Go, go every single plate. Did he eat <laughs> and, it? I, I didn't hear back whether or not he ate it, but it was Probably on every not. plate that went out. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, when you're having a service that big, you're not really like sitting in the dining room going touching tables. I, yeah. like, I think the composed dish like that, when it had like all the things on there, is like something that um, I, I, you see starting to come back. Yeah. You see that now? Like you were starting to put like, instead of having your sides and a main and this, everything's starting to come back on that composed dish, like that like dinner service right. style. It's an interesting, um, it's interesting that, how, how old is the Bohemian Club? I mean, it was founded in the 30s. And wow. I mean, like, that's, that's what I mean. Like, and that probably that style or like that composedness of it never left. Right. I'm guessing. Right. No, that the was. The idea of supper. I mean, I, I definitely did a fresher take of on course. what was, what was there before me. Um, but it was, it, it, it was. People set in their ways. I mean, no matter what, I still had to do the popovers on Thursdays. I had to do, like, yeah. on Fridays were almond macaroons and not macaroons, the French ones, the Italian ones with the coat, you know? Yes. Like, you know, like, <laughs> Thank God. Like, but it like, had Italians. to be those. But it like, had, yeah, you, the, first, the first week, I, they were like, you got to make macaroons. I'm like, okay, I know how to make macaroons. But I, all my training was French. Yeah. So I made the, you know, <laughs> Madeleine molds, <laughs> and there was a revolution. They're like, what is this? Like it's a macaroon. <laughs> like, this isn't a macaroon. It doesn't even taste like coconut. <laughs> you mean you want the giant pile of coconut yeah. pressed like, together to look like a piece of like, whipped cream? Fine. Okay, got it. Do you want it much easier? Without chocolate, which one right. would you like? That's, that's funny. That's the so, truth. And it was. I mean, it was. It was fun. I actually had fun there with like some of the old guys. There's a one group on a Thursday on Thursdays that came in for lunch. They were too old to like come in for the big dinner on Thursdays. And they were called the Grumpy Old Men. And they were yeah. kind of led by the Adams brothers. They're the great-grandchildren of um, John Quincy Adams. Wow. And uh, so I, I came out to the table. I was like, here you guys are the Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> I was like, I just straight out. I was like, what do you, I was like, I'm the new chef. Introduce myself. I was like, what do you guys want to want to see on the dinner? And then they, they're like, we haven't even looked at the menu yet. And they were like, just totally grumpy. They were exactly what they, they were. <laughs> they played their then, part well. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. Like, I, I'm the new chef. Like, I, I want to, you know, give you, put things on the menu you guys want. I was like, what do you want to see? And one of them being a smart aleck goes, brains and scrambled eggs. I was like, okay. And I walked away. The next week, I had brains and scrambled eggs oh on the menu. Oh, my God. <laughs> eat it? Yeah, he loved it. And he asked it. For, and then so he's like, oh, next week we want sweetbreads. Or next week we want tongue. Next week we want. And so, like. I mean, I did turkey balls. I did like what? so many different <laughs> things for them. But it was like, honestly, this group of, it was a group of six and it like grew into this group of 20 every Thursday lunch. And it was like this exclusive invite only for the Adams Brothers <laughs> that like they'd get in and do. That dish, um, brains and scrambled eggs, was a dish that was born out of necessity for, um, and opals and all that stuff was born out of necessity after, um, uh, the 20s uh, when Hoover was president sorry the Great Depression had happened and they were like figuring out a way to bring affluence to a country that didn't have any and so they, they put, took the most obscure things they could find and that would have been like the, the brains right. the liver the tongue and they brought it into cuisine and that dish is very famous because if you take the scramble and that and you look back it actually originated in railroad cars 
And it's a very cool dish. So you were only the rich people when it went back and forth across the country on railroad cars. And they became this thing because eggs were more precious during the Depression than um, actual meat because everybody was eating eggs. They were very hard to get because they, everybody could grow chickens and people were eating. They, you remember, the country was starving. Yeah. Right. So sugar, eggs, stuff like that. That's where flour, that's where flour was cake came from. That's where like all this stuff started to originate. But that dish is really an amazing dish. I like almost want to eat. I don't like offals or brains or any of that stuff, but I've never eaten it. But now that you just said it, I'm like, I do want to eat it based it's, on the history it's fun. of it. The history of it. There is actually... Uh, the the Bohemian Club was a really interesting experience as a chef because like I'd get invited to all these different like Jimmy Buffett would invite me like to do dinners with the Cigar Club. Wow! And, like we'd sit down there and we'd like go through and the the cigar. I never even knew like you could have vintage cigars. He like gave me a 1940 cigar that was just unreal. Wow! And the flavors were mind blowing. Um, but the, one of the funnest ones was the book club, and uh, there was a book called A Meal Observed. And they were like, we want you to read the book and recreate the meal in the book. Oh, wow. And it was probably one of the funnest dinners I, I oh, had I because I read the book and I was so into it. Yeah. And I was just so into like recreating. And it was a, like a dinner at Arpege in wow. Paris. And it was just, I mean, it was so cool. Like, and I, and I found the ingredients, you know. That's got, what I like, say, the hard part, would I would assume, I mean, obviously, talent it goes without saying, but I mean, the fact that you have to find some of these things, yeah, obscure just, things. It was just fun because, and you could, you could see as, as a chef, you could see the, what the dish looked like in your head while you're yeah. reading it because the book oh, was cool. so like, it was very like meticulously like this Written. was here, this was oh, here. It oh, was that's like, cool. Very cool. That is cool. So I had a lot of fun doing that. That's kind of a really cool challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, tell us what you do here now. What's okay, what's so the oh, Hold on. Sorry. Get to DC. <laughs> okay. All right, Gina. So then I came back to DC. I opened the Palomar <laughs> Hotel. Um, That's what originally. I met. Oh, sorry. I, Gina, I skipped a huge piece. Sorry. So I, I met Gina. My uh, my the wife that I had met at the fifth floor was the sommelier at Rosica with Gina. And when Gina was doing cocktails there and I'd show, and I opened Pal the Palomar hotel, which was, was Urbana. And I'd bring her duck meatballs all the time and give her duck meatball. The dish. best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> I like literally <laughs> beg him to please make those guys. Like, no, I don't make those anymore. I mean, I'm from an Italian family. My father had an Italian restaurant. Like I, I grew up meatballs. If somebody of, knows meatballs, they're it's in our Gina. blood. They're in our blood. But these duck meatballs, I can taste them. I can tell you exactly they're what they so look good. like, the color, how they this little glaze on them, the pasta he made with it. It was ridiculous. Like it was unbelievable. And we never had them hot. I've never ate them in yeah, this restaurant. Because <laughs> I always did to, to go and I sit at the bar waiting for my But the two bartenders I worked with and and, and Sebastian and like um Ellie. and Ellie at the time, but like Sebastian and Lauren used to come in before Sebastian took Ellie's job when I, um, that was after. He was came after. in after. He came right. in. Because she replaced him. But he, Richie was to bring that and wait for her to get off work and we'd be like waiting and sat and we'd just sitting there like, <laughs> and be like, oh, I'm like, Richie's coming in. Oh, it's crazy. And then we'd yeah. come in and we'd see the box and we knew it wasn't Bradley. We're like, yes. <laughs> and then if he forgot, it would be like, oh, you don't, you just, uh, um, okay, you didn't bring anything. That's fine. That's fine. I'll get you dinner. Whatever the chef was making that night. <laughs> So it was a, it was crazy, but Sebastian even talks about that. Like the, like it's funny, but awesome. one dish could bring to a community. But yeah. sorry, go ahead. 
And then, um, and that makes you so giddy. I mean, you're all smiles and red and talking about it. That's amazing. That's the it's magic of to, food. It's hard to find, like, in this business, right? You'll meet people like Richie and you'll have a friendship and you'll have, like, um, this culinary thing together, like, where you understand each other and you can speak to each other in a different, in a different manner, whether the food is or how it is. Or, and, you know, you'll connect with your people and you start making your network of people. And, like, that's, Really, I think how we really connected is like, obviously, yeah. I loved his children and Zoe was born and she was a baby when I met her and it was, all oh, that's amazing, right? And Zoe now comes and helps at the soda shop yeah. and she does oh, it Christmas and she does like all the bottling with us and she's a doll and she's the best, right? So like to be part of someone's life for so long is, you know, yeah. over um, something as simple as a meatball, if you think <laughs> about right. it. That's how it all started. incredible, right? All right, so, so sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it all just boils down to meatballs. <laughs> right now, in the end really of the does. day. <laughs> and then um, after, after that, I, I, I took another club job just because, quite frankly, a lot of these clubs will pay you things that yeah. just could, I couldn't say no to. And it was a very good financial opportunity yeah. at the time. And I went down to uh, Florida and did it. And it was horrible. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my life in Florida. It was really like... Yeah. Hands down the worst experience ever. And then, um, so I came back to DC. I, I started floating my resume out and I got an interview with Jose Andres. Um, I met with Jose and he's like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with you, but I want to hire you. Will you work for this much? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so he's like, he's, I showed up to work and he's like, you just help. Go help. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, so I started working in the restaurants and doing that stuff. And then they were opening the bazaar out in LA. And um, I had done volume with the clubs and mm-hmm. I'm done, like, and at Le Bernardin is really a high volume fine dining restaurant. We did about 400 covers a night at Le wow. Bernardin. Um, so at the bazaar, it was kind of similar. And I started organizing everybody and making sure we had enough. And, and I, I kept coming to Jose and saying, hey, we need, we need this, we need this, we need, he's like, well, go fix it, go do it. And I was like, all right. So I awesome. continued to do that. And, uh, but that's was, also probably what he saw in you and why he's like, I'm going to hire you. I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but you're going to do. Yeah. So you're going to do. And that, did. and the fact that you had that, uh, he had the foresight and you had, you were humble enough to go, okay. Yeah. I mean that it's, those are great stories though. That's, those are wonderful things to share. Right. I mean, it was, it, it, it makes you nervous going into it because you're like, I have no idea what I'm getting into exactly. here. Exactly. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. I'm going to jump like, in the deep into this pool gonna, and I'm, I'm going to swim. It. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yep. Okay. I need a paycheck. That's always Yeah, I, I needed a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, I mean, Jose was fantastic. Um, and, you know, he taught me this really awesome story once when I was doing this. And we were um, – we had contests throughout the time we were there and it would be like different teams. So each restaurant would be – it was a foie gras contest this time. It had oh, been wow. pickles. It had been French fries. And, like, they do different contests between all the restaurants and, like, who makes the best dish. And I did, actually, this uh, a dish I learned from Doug. He did a salt-cured uh, foie gras torchon. So it's salt-cured instead of, like, poached. Uh-huh. Like, really, really, it was delicious. So I, I made that. And I was like, this, I got this. You know, it, it was perfect. You know, like, no bloodline in it whatsoever. Just perfectly rounded out beautiful. And, and I served it in... I was like, this is, and when I presented it, I was like, you know, it's four God Tarshan, it's all cured. And like that, that was it. And everyone else like had this whole story to what it, it was. And the end, I didn't win. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like what? Mine was so much better than that one. <laughs> and and uh, I remember Rob Wilder telling me, he's like, 
I guess Jose had told him to tell me this. I'm not sure though, but he told me, he's like, you didn't win because you didn't have a story. He's like, and that's what it was all about with Jose. And like, that was something that really like, he made me realize that it's more than just the food. It's the, it's, it's that in the service, because I knew it was like food and service. And that was all I, my world had been before, but he kind of showed me it was the story. And, and which set me up, I believe for this, for this job. So now I'm the director of culinary strategy for Eden's. I, I don't actually cook. And I, I sometimes give direction on like, Oh, Hey, why don't you do it like this? Or layouts on menus or layouts in kitchens and things like that. I do. That's, that's a little, little part of my job now, but a big part of my job is telling the story. Yeah. And that's kind of, I, I don't think I would be able to do this without working for Jose. It's crazy. As, as you, as you're telling your story, you can hear like, if you hadn't done this, this wouldn't have happened. And and going through this horrific situation actually led you to another place. And it's crazy how the universe sets it up for you and you just don't know. And sometimes you can be in the middle of it and going, what the fuck? But if you, it's just crazy if you, if you can see it, sometimes we're there. I know I can say personal, sometimes I'm in the middle of it and I can't see why. And I mean, your story is I find it very inspiring. And, and honestly, it's just easy to see how all of those things come together. I don't know that I, I'm happy that you slept in a park. <laughs> well, going, going, going back to that, it was it, it, the way I got set up into that situation. Um, my roommate in New Orleans, he was, uh, he was from Belfast. His, I think his parents were kind of IRA, kind of hiding in the Isle of Man people. And... <laughs> And he was one day, like, literally, I had moved out from my roommate and I still stayed in touch with him. He was an Irish guy and like he was in the industry and he was, um, he calls me up. I had just gotten my house robbed. I'd just broken up with the girlfriend at the time. And I was just kind of like, And I lost my sucks. dog. No, no I had I'm the kidding. dog. The dog was there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I left it. I did leave the dog with my parents when I left. But he comes up to, after all this had happened. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just throwing that in there for color. <laughs> so after... After all that had happened to me, he comes over and he's like, we hang out. He's like, hey, I'm going to the Isle of Man to open a restaurant for my parents. You want to come? And I was like, yeah, I really actually do. Like, let's go. How and many times are you going to be asked that question? <laughs> like, life? hey, let's go to the Isle of Man. And so I went to the Isle of Man and I opened a restaurant and he got in a fight with his parents and left. Two weeks later, after I'd hired a staff and trained it and like kind of was running normal and like we were doing weddings out in the back of the the, it was called the Hop Garden. It was oh. like next to Bushy's Brewery on the island. Yes. And uh, they came to me and they're like, so Richie, we never did your paperwork. You're illegal. And, oh. And they've called us and, and told us we need to re- remedy the situation and that they're coming to see if you're here and take you. Um, well, hello. And so I was like, all right. They're like, you've done a great job for us, but <laughs> we're not doing the paperwork and we're just going to ask. You're going it, to go it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And I went to London. So because I, in my head, I thought to myself, all right, I'm in, I'm not in America. Yeah. And I'm working. Abroad, yeah. And if, if I go back now, I'm probably never going to come back over here. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to go try. And so I went to London and that's why I called my friend Collect. Like, I, it I tells you when it was because you actually had to call somebody collect. Yeah. I don't even know if half, like, millennials even know what that No, how do you? <laughs> no. How do you call no, collect? I, they find it amusing to use, like, uh, pay phones. You, yeah. you know, that's a new thing now on Instagram. People go find pay phones in, in cities and put quarters in and make a phone call to their friends' cell phones. That's hilarious. That's like a thing. 
It's like getting back to the analog world. Yeah. I start laughing. I'm like, well, that's not really analog, but okay. <laughs> also, another misuse of the words. Please look up what these things mean. What are they teaching? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to, can we break and have a cocktail here? Perhaps? Absolutely. So, I'm thirsty. So I got to tell you, I've known her too long time, right? We've all established that, but you can't make a drink for a chef ever without a little bit of fear in your yes. life because you're like damn he's gonna be like what the what i is love this? when someone makes gina sweat is it wrong i love it though so <laughs> so the only thing i could think of right because i was like i'm like what are we gonna do we're talking about his life is everything right so what's celebratory champagne right i love champagne bubbles you know it's a great thing um and this weekend this past weekend we went foraging for uh, black raspberries black raspberries are um just in case you've ever never seen these they look like a raspberry. They're a quarter of the size of a raspberry. Everybody knows how small a raspberry is, and they're more thornier than a raspberry. So when you go to pick these, um, you, most people don't deliver them to your restaurants because they're a pain in the ass to pick. Sounds like it. So for three hours, I got this beautiful sunburn that I have, <laughs> and I had on, and I had on 50. I picked five pounds of black raspberries with my friend Pooja. While Neil and her husband sat in an air-conditioned car with their kids and they all watched Star Wars. <laughs> and we sat there and we picked and we picked and we picked and we picked and I was like, I was like, these are so precious. And I kept saying to myself, they're so precious, they're so precious. And I was like, okay, so we're gonna do Richie's interview. And I was like, well, I have to give him back raspberries. And when uh, he saw the bucket and he goes, oh, I went and picked those this weekend too. So I was like, <laughs> Yeah, he, so he under so he understands that the twenty little black raspberries that went to each one of these cups is a, a good forty five minutes of the string. So this string takes forty five minutes of foraging, and then you know, add the rest of the ingredients. But the black, the black ones, it, it's almost like there's a billion red ones. Yeah, and then there's like three black ones. Yeah. So this is grown on the same plant then? No, no, no. The black raspberries all together, mixed in between. Yeah. So uh, so. I'll give you how this whole thing started with black raspberries. Black raspberries are actually a family of the brambles, the bramble. So like if you were in like Ireland or London and stuff, you would have brambles and bramble berries and like they would make like these um, different, you know, pies and stuff. And they would they would grow these thickets between people's houses so people wouldn't cross over or the sheep wouldn't leave the lot and everything like that, right? But they would make these berries and things came out of it. Uh, bramble, berry, bramble wine, whatever. Bramble, black raspberry, blackberries are all in the same family. Blackberries became a cultivated version of the bramble and the black raspberry. But the black raspberry is kind of a hybrid, a natural hybrid. It didn't, it happened yes. before, you know, the really beautiful raspberries you got. Because remember in the 20s, raspberries didn't look like that. These are things that like started happening as farmers collected seeds took care of the seeds, dated the seeds, gave them better growing conditions, separated them. I mean, that's how you get the beauty of the fruit that comes now. And one thing I think that people should always read, if you like love fruits and vegetables and stuff, you should read The Botany of Desire, because it gets a great book to give you like how um, fruits came from like the natural, exotic places that now have been cultivated into these beautiful things. And when you really saw them in their own in their own right, they were pretty gnarly looking. Yeah. So these black raspberries aren't gorgeous, but they are tasty. You know, honestly, when I pulled them out, I thought they were blackberries. Yeah, I but they were they're tiny, 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 tiny. But they taste like a raspberry. Here, they taste like a raspberry. One more. Um, they taste like a raspberry. But what's what's the beauty of these are because they are um, fresh. What I'm going to do with these is um, the rest of them. I'm going to ferment them. They have beautiful natural yeast on them, and um, and. Uh, Basically what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make a, um, a black raspberry bramble wine, and then I'll use that 
and they'll stretch further along and I'll blast it with a little bit of CO2. So what'll happen is it'll give me like three times the amount of the five pounds. Wow. Yeah, so only using air compression. But anyway, let's make this drink. Okay, let's drink. Let's get to this. So, um, so in the in a, in a glass, you're gonna take uh, two slices of lemon, about 20 black raspberries. If you're gonna substitute raspberries or blackberries, you only need about six or seven. Okay. Um, and you're gonna mash them together in the bottom of the glass, and then you're gonna add uh, one ounce of red vermouth. I'm using Dolan today because I, I really like it. And then I'm gonna take um, crushed ice, and I'm gonna fill up these glasses. This is the best part. Mm-hmm. What, the drink? <laughs> yes. The drinking part, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, you're a lovely person, Nishi, but you know. I mean, you should have done this part in the beginning. That way, you know, I might have gotten into more details on it. Oh my God. Into the I, juicy bit? That I purposely could have left out. You know? Maybe that's that what we should that. take note. That, <laughs> that second thought, like, no, I maybe not shouldn't say that. <laughs> what? So that's what you're saying, is if we did it early, we may have gotten some juicier bits. That's going to be tricky, right? So you're going to put crushed ice in there, and then, so this is a cobbler, right? So you're basing the bottom, is you have uh, the berries on the bottom, citrus, sorry, your berries on the bottom, citrus, a little bit of vermouth, it's the basis of a cobbler, you can make this with, you know, anything you want, you know, sherry, it doesn't matter, sherry, bourbon, whiskey, what, you know, introduce. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then we're going to take this and we're going to top it with, um, I'm using the Gourette uh, Rosé. It's from Arizona. It's actually, um, it's grown in Arizona. I absolutely love this for, uh, for um, brambles, um, cobblers, anything, cocktails like that. I love that you picked like mason jar glasses for this. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's out of, uh, yeah, things, yeah, yeah, out of necessity and sometimes just because it works, right? It looks great. I think the gods aligned with me today. I don't know. <laughs> so what we have here is a little bit of, um, so one thing I like is, like, I like people to generally say, you know, when they're ordering a cobbler, are they sweet? Are they more keep it where it is? Because, like, they can be really dry or they can be a little bit sweeter. I'm going to just put um, a little bit of, like, a raspberry, like, like a quarter of an ounce of raspberry mint syrup that we have and like a quarter ounce of blueberry. And like you'll have like this berry flavor. You do not have to do that. Sorry, You do not have to do that. You can just put a, like just, you know, nothing or more. Um, it's really something you build yourself. And like what I love also is you can just set up glasses at home of this and just have crushed ice and you have gas coming over. Leave it all out, have them put the ice in it, and then they can pick their champagne, soda water. You obviously can make these non-alcoholic and nice. You know, but I would never do that. No, no, anyway. Why would you do that? <laughs> uh, that's not true. Of course I would. And you know what's really what's really nice about champagne drinks like this? They're light in alcohol, so they're more sessionable. So if you're gonna have a long party or a barbecue, this is a nice thing to put out yeah. instead of giving somebody, you know, bourbon straight off the top, cheers. and you're like, right. yeah, let's see you in like 40 minutes. Cheers. Cheers. So cheers. You want a little sweeter, you can add a little bit more, mm-hmm. it's not a problem. That's great. Um, the only bad thing in a party, you have little berry bits in your teeth, so I'll let you know if you got one or two. No, do you have one? I don't know, do I? So the crushed ice generally um, pulls that in, and you can drink it with or without a straw, but if, like I said, if you always use a straw, something that you can use compostable or, or paper straws. Yes. I like the corn straws just because they maintain better with the icier drinks, but that's me. So what do you think, Richie? This is fantastic. I love things that it's not too sweet. It's, you took the acidity off, so it's 
it's easy on the heartburn. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Right? It's perfect. I know, I know. I do. And it does taste like a gobbler. It tastes like an iced gobbler. It does, it does. This would be great with barbecue. Yeah. Absolutely. Barbecue. So, um, cheese. Basically. I would love oh, this yeah. with cheese. I would have gone the other way. Oh, yeah. I something would. creamy. Yeah, like a really yeah. creamy chip cream cheese and mm-hmm. like big toasted bread on the grill. Nice. Like I like get a little appetizer. This could be the condiment to the creamy cheese. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like right? instead of a, instead of like a jam and do yeah. a, to do a cocktail. You make it sweeter too. Like I I don't love my cobblers too super sweet. Some people like powdered sugar in them and everything. I feel like we get enough sugar in other ways, you know. So like you don't need it. Oh, it's and, and every single thing. So if you've missed any of the tips that Gina just laid down to make this amazing cobbler cocktail, um, just head on over to designateddrinker.show. Again, that's designateddrinker.show, and she'll give you the recipes, how to, and there'll be a lovely photo so that you know exactly. How do you get a recipe for brains and scrambled? Brains and scrambled eggs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll put that together and send that over. I think you ever, I would love to see people who are listening to this episode make it and post it on our site. Absolutely. Because awesome. I, I, would, I would love to like see that, and then I will bring you down to Union Market. Have a, we have a butcher at Union Market that'll get you brains if you want them. <laughs> you mean, know we all need a little bit more brains. I mean, I feel like that's a cool thing to do. That was that was uh, probably one of the most scary things that I had to do as a chef was when um, Eric Repair comes up to me and he's like, that we had a whole lamb in the fridge, which I had seen earlier. He's like, Richie, get the brain out of the lamb and make sure it's perfect. He's like, it's for Jean Louis. Oh, wow. good. There's no pressure there. <laughs> so that's, that's no pressure. so I had to, I had never taken a brain out. It's, and it's like I'd never removed one from the animal yeah. like, to keep it perfectly uh, yeah. like immaculate. Intact, and he's yeah. like, you know, take it out and like soak it in the salt water to get the blood out of it and stuff like that. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was in the back with the with a saw going around the skull of the lamb, just oh. freaking out. Freaking out that I was gonna like ruin this thing. I bet. And it was Jean Louis that had I'd always I always ended up helping Jean Louis whenever he came to cook at the Bernadette. Um, but that night it was it was perfect Good. and like well I, I helped John Louis all night. He's and he shoved an ortolone in my mouth that night for from another course, which is the only time I got to try ortolone in my life. What is I don't even know what that is. What is that? Ortolones are small, like maybe inch and a half birds. That it's famous in France where the people put towels over their heads. Yep. And they, and they because they're, they're supposed to be like a secret that you're eating it and like not identified or no one can prove that you actually ate it because you put the towel over your head yep. and you eat, eat it under a towel. I saw this it's in a movie. Super famous. Yeah. Super famous in France. It's uh, they're not you're not supposed to eat them here. And yeah. It's it's only like because it was a private party and like Jean Louis was cooking the, the for the bones, everything, yeah, everything, the everything. guts, everything. Super gamey, but very, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting flavor. I mean, but Jean-Louis shoved it in my mouth and was standing there and like looking at my expression. And I was like, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. I would be like chewing. Like, oh my God. I'm, is that the beak? Is that the beak? Yeah. <laughs> or like, the feet. Like, I I mean, I, I, they're, I, they're, I, like they're like that big. Yeah. Little birds. And where do you find these things? France. France. <laughs> Everywhere France. in France? They're like in the brush. Kind of little birds. Look at that. Look, Ortolone. Yeah. Well, now I feel like there's like something that's a challenge in my life. I have to eat it, right? Like I just have to it's, eat it once. It's, it's one of those things that people should strive I to go try. I will watch you eat that one. I don't know that I'm going to join you on that one. I've eaten a lot of things that I just, because I had to do it. I worked for a lot of chefs that are like, you should just try it even though you don't like it. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, let's try it. I don't like it. I mean, eyeballs, all kinds of weird mm-hmm. stuff. And so um, on that note, let's just enjoy this cocktail. Maybe okay. we'll go down to the butcher and see if we can find Fantastic. something down in the market. That's good. Uh, you know. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you.